Amen. I invite you to open God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. You can be turning there to verses 8 to 10 that we will read here in just a moment. Um, as you're turning there, I'll just mention um, that today's sermon is not going to be in our typical format uh, where we look at one passage in particular, but rather we're going to be looking at a couple of passages uh, this morning, establishing a truth through one passage, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and then in our second point, going to be looking at various passages, in particular the one another passages in the New Testament as we are continuing our Together series. So a little bit more topical today um, in our text that we are looking at as far as looking at one passage and expositionally walking through that. So with that in mind, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 as we begin. I'd like to ask that if you are able, that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word this morning. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. The Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for these ancient words this day that are living and active. And Father, we pray that your word would bring about change in our lives this day. Pray, Father, for the saints gathered in this room this morning, Lord, that your word would encourage us and strengthen us to obedience in our Christian walk. Father, we pray that your word would give life and salvation. If there are any here who are not trusting in Christ alone and what he has done on the cross to bear their sin, to give them forgiveness. We pray your word would do its work. In Christ's name we ask it, amen. You may be seated. This morning, the topic before us as we again, are continuing the series of Together, is growing together, growing together. So the main thought for us to shine light upon is the reality that Christian growth takes place together with one another, with one another, together. So to put it another way, Christian growth is to take place with one another in a local church. My prayer this morning is that we'll see clearly from God's word the necessity of Christian growth and the necessity for us to grow together with one another. So the necessity of Christian growth and then us, the necessity to grow together. So two points are gonna help us see this reality. First, we'll consider the truth and the fact that Christians necessarily produce fruit in their lives. And we'll entitle that first point just quite simply, Christians grow, okay? Christians grow, that is our first point. And secondly, 
we'll consider various passages from the New Testament that show us our need to grow together. So Christians grow together. If you're note-taking, you can check out from here on out. That's the two biggies right there. Christians grow, Christians grow together. So let's look at our first point. And I'm kidding, by the way, about checking out. So there we go. Christians grow, thinking about this. The Bible is very clear that we are saved only by the grace of God. God does not save us based upon any work that we have done and no amount of good works can earn our salvation before God. We teach this, praise the Lord, very clearly here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. The Bible is also very clear that every single Christian will produce good fruit in their lives. There is no such thing that we see in the Bible as a Christian who does not grow in their faith, in their walk with the Lord. When God saves us, He necessarily changes us. He changes us. This dynamic of faith and good works is seen so clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, the passage that we're going to look at first, as we consider the fact that Christians grow, that Christian growth produces good works we need to see the relationship of faith and work. So we see that relationship so clearly in chapter two, verses eight to nine. First, that we are saved by grace and not works. Paul first states in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now we're picking up midstream here in the flow of Paul's argument. What does Paul mean that we have been saved? Well, he's been so clearly to speak about what we have been saved from. Salvation is salvation from something. And we need salvation, Paul clearly teaches, because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Just here again, how Paul describes our state before Christ in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The situation Paul describes here could not be more serious. It could not be more dire. It's not that we have a problem that needs correcting, like we're thinking wrong and we need to think rightly. It's not like we're uh, uh, living sort of bad and we need some tweaking to live better, like we need Jesus to come and show us how to live and then we can follow his example and be okay. No, Paul says in this passage, you were dead. You were dead. We don't need reforming. We don't need instructing. We need made alive. We need to be born again. And that is the beautiful truth that we see in verses four to five. Some of the most beautiful verses in all of the scripture showing us that what Christ has done in salvation, the apostle Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus. It is God who has come to give us life. It is God who has come to make us alive. And that is what Paul is referring to in verse eight when he says, you have been saved. We have been saved from death. We have been saved from the wrath of God, his punishment against sin. We have been saved, we have been rescued, we have been redeemed. Paul so clearly shows this truth in this passage. He belabors this point by speaking over and over about how it is all of grace, it is not earn. He repeats that phrase in this passage, by grace you have been saved. And we see that we receive this forgiveness of sins through faith. It is through faith. So faith is believing the good news about what Jesus Christ has done. Faith is simply believing the promise of God to save us in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you would say that you don't know what that means or you're not sure what that means to trust and believe in Jesus Christ, we would just say that's why we exist as a church because we believe this very reality and this very truth that Jesus Christ has come, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross in our place to take our punishment and he was raised victorious on the third day. And the promise of God is whoever believes, whoever trusts that, believes that good news will be saved. That is our hope of salvation. And if that is you here this morning that you are not believing that truth, we would love to talk with you further about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. We would just exhort you even now to believe in the promise of God to forgive you of your sins through Jesus Christ. It is all of grace. Paul continues that thought in verse eight and verse nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm not sure God's word could be any more clear. Salvation is not our own doing. You didn't, nor can you save yourself. It is a gift. It is a gift of God. And so we see a contrast of good works in here. We are not saved so clearly, we see, by our good works. They have no part in salvation. In fact, it's pretty just doggone hard for a dead person to make themselves alive. That's a very hard act. That is why God must do it. God makes us alive. And that's what Paul states in verse number four. We are spiritually dead. God has made us alive. But when God saves us, what we see in the following verses, and that's the emphasis of this morning's message, is that when God saves us, he changes us. We're saved by grace, not by works, but that does not mean now that we are saved, we can just grow lax on the whole striving after God part in our lives and forget about seeking to live in obedience to his command. Because we say, well, we're just saved by grace. I'm good. And there's not a striving after obedience to the things of God and the commands of God in God's word. And that's what we see secondly in this text is we are created for good works. Verse number 10. Right after this statement, verse number 10 states, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Uh, literally translated means that which is made. His workmanship. We are made by God. 
just as that verse goes on to say that we are created. God has made us. We are a new creation in Him. And Paul gives us a purpose clause here. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works, good works, are a necessary outgrowth of salvation. God has saved us and he has saved us for good works. And the text says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In eternity past, God not only chose us to be saved, but he also marked out a path for us to walk in. This concept of walking and living ties back in with chapter two, verse one and two, and contrasts how we walk now as believers by how we used to walk as unbelievers, following our own sinful desires. But now we are a new creation and the outflow of God's work in our lives is good works. Listen, if you have been saved by the grace of God, good works, we could say, are not optional. They are necessary in our lives. We have been changed. God has made us alive and his Holy Spirit is living within us. And that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living inside every single believer. And that will change you. That will change you of what the work of God has done. And we have been made alive. Therefore, we are to live in obedience to God. This is really the flow of this whole book of Ephesians and also other letters of the New Testament. If you just look, if you have your Bibles open right there in the book of Ephesians, in chapter one to three, Paul teaches us about what God has done for us in Christ and who we are as new creations. And then in verse, excuse me, chapter four through six, we see exhortations to good works exhortations to good works and the context for living out these good works is so clearly seen in how we live with one another as a local church. Last week's message in chapter four, the first six verses there exhorted us to walk in unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. To walk in a manner, it says there in verse number one of chapter four, worthy of the calling to which you have been called so even when Paul here starts giving instruction, he bases it on the fact that we are a new creation in Christ because of what Christ has done. Therefore, we are now to live like this. We walk differently because we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The rest of Ephesians from chapter four onward exhorts believers to live in obedience to the God who saved them, to walk in the good works which God has prepared us to walk in. And the point I want to exhort us in this morning is that our obedience and our good works are so clearly seen in how we live together with one another. The fact of the matter is, I would just spend a short period of time there, Christians grow. You can see this all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament in particular. We are saved by grace. It is not by works that we are saved, crystal clear. But holding within that is also the commands that that faith changes us and we now are changed by it. It's the parable of the soils as Jesus was teaching as he threw his seed. And it was that 
fourth soil that was differentiated from the other three. Why? Because it produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, but there was fruit, there was life from the word of God that was implanted and grown and changed in their lives. And so this brings us to the second point today, and that is this fact, Christians grow together. Christians grow together. So many of the commands in the New Testament are directed at how we are to live with one another, how we live with one another. To put it another way, if you are not actively a part of the life of a local church, you cannot be living in obedience to the commands of Jesus. So many of the commands of Jesus Christ, as we live in obedience to them, are lived in obedience with one another, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus himself says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Just before this verse, Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How can we show and grow in our love for one another if we are not together with one another? How can we show and grow in our love for one another if we are not connected with one another, with other brothers and sisters in Christ? If we are not active, if we are not involved. So many of the commands of the New Testament are obeyed in the context of the local church in how we relate to one another. Think of it like this. So many of the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in are done in the context of the local church with one another. So many of the good works that God prepared before the foundation of the world for you to walk in are to be obeyed in how you treat, interact, and love other brothers and sisters in Christ in this room right now. The good works that are spoken of in Ephesians chapter two, that God has prepared before the creation, the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them so many of those good works are seen in how we live and interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This week, I took the time to look up um, every occurrence in the New Testament of the uh, connecting phrase, one another. All the one another passages. We've heard about these passages if you've been at Redeeming Grace for um, any amount of time. We hear about these one another passages. All of these. So um, around 49 of these uh, texts, you can dice them up very differently, but about 49 of these texts, um, we see commands that we are to live out with one another. And as we were sit sitting there singing the words, ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you, I thought I better double check to make sure I wrote down, I brought with me the list of all these one another's and lo and behold, I can't find them. I didn't bring them with me. I wrote out all 49 and I was gonna read through all 49 here. I'm not gonna to try to recite those from memory, but think about all the one another passages in the New Testament. Do you know the one that is repeated most 
all throughout the New Testament. Might you take a guess in your mind what that might be? Is clearly to love one another. Love one another. Five times in the book of 1 John, in the Gospel of John, repeated over and over and over that we're to love one another, that we are to pray for one another, that we are to bear one another's burdens, that we are to comfort one another, that we are to exhort one another, that we are to stir one another up, that we are to live in unity with one another. And we could go on and on and on in the New Testament, many passages teach just in this exact light of how we are to produce good fruit in our lives and how that is seen. So I submit to you this morning, just as an emphasis, as we see, that in our obedience to Jesus Christ, to produce our good works, those good works, brothers and sisters, so many of them are seen in how we live together with one another. Just a couple of categories of these for us to consider this morning. And the first is this, your presence, your presence. Now, this concept of your presence, that is your being there, not talking about a gift, although those are nice, but your presence, would in, this concept would encompass really all of the one another's, wouldn't it? Your being there, your being present in one another's lives. No doubt this minimally, at least, means being present in corporate worship. Hebrews 10.25 instructs us to not neglect meeting together. Ephesians 5.19 instructs us to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Coming to corporate worship is not just being obedient to God's instruction, it's also encouragement to others. You thought about that before? How just encouraging it is to come to corporate worship and not be the only one to show up? that there are other brothers and sisters in Christ? How discouraging would it be if we showed up maybe once a month, all of us, every single one of us, would probably not be too encouraging nor obedient to God's word. Being together as believers is so important for us. It teaches us that we are not in this life alone. It teaches us, even as we've sung and you've heard in the prayers, we are not alone in our struggle and our battle in sin in our lives. We are not alone in that battle. In what seems like a whole world of unbelief and disobedience to God, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who love God and who love his word. Haven't you seen this encouraging nature to be true in your own life? Good things happen at church and coming together with one another. Just think of communion and all that that entails. Think of baptism, our ordinances. Think of the teaching that we hear and receive from God's word, our opportunity to be able to worship God, to praise him, to lift up a sacrifice of praise and song to our savior, to be able to give just to have a proper perspective on life, of coming out of a week and being able to hear that Jesus is king and that he's returning and those who are in Christ have been saved and will be saved 
and they are secure. Just think about the perspective that we find on life in coming to church. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. I love the Psalms, we love God's word, we love all of it. That Psalm speaks about the Psalmist. He said his foot had almost slipped. He had almost stumbled in his life in his faith. So he's about to walk away from the faith because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. The wicked are prospering and it seemed like those who were doing good in life had difficulties in life. And he was, he was stumbling over this fact. And he tells about that all throughout the Psalm and then it gets later on in the Psalm to a turning point. And it states in that, but then I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And that psalmist, what, he, what we clearly see happening is he went to church, we could say, he heard God's word and the truth that God's word taught and it changed his perspective on life. I don't know about you, that has happened to me definitely more than once of coming to church, of living in this life and being able to come to church and just be reminded of the truth of God and who he is and the realities that only God's word teaches us. Being together as believers is important, but it's not just enough to merely walk through the doors of this gathering place. We're also called to be present in one another's lives, to know each other, to be known by each other. Last week, again, Ephesians chapter four, verse two, which tells us to bear with one another in love. James 5, 16 tells us to pray for one another. Galatians 6, 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens. I just wanna pause on that one for a moment. It encompasses so many of the one another passages. To bear one another's burdens. Just think about that. How can we fulfill that command of God's word if we are not a part of the body of Christ and of one another. This word for bear is used both literally and figuratively in the New Testament in Galatians. The New Testament uses it literally in the following way, of carrying a jar of water, carrying a coffin, of animals carrying a rider, of people carrying other people, and it is used of pregnant women who carry their baby. So there's our Mother's Day analogy. I checked, I got that one in, right? But of course, it's used figuratively in this passage, isn't it? Here's the definition of this word, it's figurative use, to bear, to bear, to provide continuous and possibly prolonged assistance and help by supplying the needs of someone. It has to do with helping others out with their problems, helping others out with their burdens, something that's particularly burdensome and exhausting. Literally, a burden is a heavy weight or a stone that we are to help others carry the weights that they have. Something that maybe one person cannot carry alone or cannot carry long by himself. The term is very vague. It's meant to be vague, not very specific at, of, at all. Of course, in the immediate context there in Galatians, the burden uh, to be bore would be this, 
sins of a brother or sister caught in sin. The burden bearing would first and foremost have to do with coming alongside of someone caught up in sin to help them through it. And that's not a one time and one and done thing. That's a, a dirty type of work. It's not glamorous. It's helping others with their sins that takes a toll even on the one helping them. Yes, we are called to cast all our cares and our burdens upon Jesus. But listen, God has given his children, the church, to help them carry their burdens, to help carry one another's burdens. God has provided the body of believers for that, to carry the load. And the reality is that we all have burdens. We all have burdens. Every single believer, to one degree or another, has burdens. Our burdens differ in size and shape and weight, but we all have them. No one is exempt from them. And we as Christians are to help others through our troubles. It's not like it's a competition to see who can have the biggest and baddest burden sometime. It's like you share a prayer request and somebody shares something very serious and a big burden, and then like you feel bad for maybe saying pray for my attitude and this or that because that's like nothing compared to this other person's burden. But we need to have the mentality with us. Look, we all have burdens and we all carry them, some bigger and some different in different seasons in our lives, but we all have burdens. We need to ask help for those burdens. There are two things that, we, that need to be said about this that I just want to exhort you in, two sides of the same coin. First is we must be willing to help other people carry their burdens. Willing to help other people carry their burdens. This is true spirit-filled living. This is living in obedience and producing the good works that God has destined for us to do. Walking by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit sort of stuff. When we see others in trouble, in pain, struggling, the call is for us as the body of believers with one another to help each other grow in that way, to carry their load with them. And necessarily a second side of that coin is we have to be willing to share our burdens with others. We have to be willing to help and I think we're really good at helping people with their burdens. I think we need to grow on this aspect of asking or sharing our load and asking for help with others. We have to get to know, just think about the realities of this happening in a church. You have to get to know other people and open up with the things that you are facing and the burdens that you're carrying. So how in the world can someone else help carry your burden if you never tell anybody about it? How does that happen? There are many needs in our congregation. As mentioned, every one of us have and has burdens to one degree or to another degree. I just exhort you to both share those burdens with others and help others carry burdens that you have. Doing that asking quite simply many times is through prayer of asking another brother and sister in Christ to pray for you, the struggle that you're facing. Maybe it's asking for wisdom upon something. 
How, how do I think about this? What, what am I to do in this situation? Can you, can you help me? Help me out with that. Help me think through this properly. Maybe it's like a physical sort of thing. Can you help me with this? I've got this situation. I literally need, I need help with that. Whatever that is, may we be a church who grow together with sharing one another's burdens. Second thing I think we could encompass here is your service, your service. So your presence, presence with one another, growing with one another and your service. Galatians 5.13 instructs us, through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. To serve means uh, to serve as a slave. It's the verbal root of the noun slave. So it's saying verbal root of that, to serve as a slave. And so in this context, Paul is teaching us the proper use of our freedom is to serve as a slave to others. That we are free in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be a slave. We're free in the Christian life to serve one another. What opportunities are there in the life of this church for you to serve someone else, to serve your fellow brother and sister in Christ. It's such a blessing to see folks serving in the life of a local congregation. That's one of the wonderful things that uh, Adam and I, as, as being able to be paid staff here, that get to see so much of the serving that goes around in the community and the life of Redeeming Grace. It is a blessing to see. Right now, even as you're sitting there, fellow saints are down the hall watching children right now, serving, watching somebody else's child serving, serving mothers, serving families by watching a child. I, in my estimation, I think that's one of the most amazing ways that you can serve at a church is by serving the least of these. Serving those that many times when we serve, right, we can have a, a thing of let me serve and help this person out, especially because I know that they can do good back to me. Or maybe they have something that I can get in return maybe for my service to them. That's absolutely not the case with a child. You might get spit up upon, you can receive that. But in serving, this is a beautiful way for us to serve. Even as we're sitting here in the seats that are here before us this morning, those have been placed there for you. This morning, somebody came early and laid them down and after you leave, somebody's gonna pick them up and put them away. So many are faithful to serve, even in our corporate worship, to lead through serving us. And we could go on and on in those ways, but the concept and the point that we're trying to get across from God's word here, do you view yourself as a servant? as a servant and how can you serve others in this body? Serving others who have needs, looking out not for your own, but those of others. You see, we don't get this type of teaching from the world. The world is not going to encourage us in these things. It's not gonna teach us to consider others better than ourselves and serve one another in love is definitely not the case. This is one of the ways that God has called us to be a witness to a lost world. 
Remember, it is our Savior who has told us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What better way to show love than to serve? These are the types of good works that God has prepared for us to walk in as followers of Christ. What ways can you volunteer to serve others this week? And are you viewing yourself as a servant in the church to serve? How can I serve every single follower of Jesus Christ? The New Testament calls upon to serve one another. Brothers and sisters, let us give ourselves over to growing in serving. Lastly here, encouragement. Just the last thing, encouragement. The list of one another's we see calls us to teach and admonish one another, to instruct one another, to exhort one another, to stir up one another. In order for us to be able to do these things, we have to be those who are knowledgeable about God's word. As Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter four, we're to grow to be mature in our faith to not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and wave of doctrine. That we're to be mature. Now, Paul also speaks in chapter four there about pastors, teachers, and uh, that are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that, of course, is true. The elders of this church are to teach and to instruct, but it is also true that the members of this church help one another and speak into one another's lives to encourage, to exhort, to stir up to love and good deeds, to be able to take the word, of a God, the word of God and apply it to what people are going through and what they face in life, to be able to hear about a brother or a sister who is going through marriage problems, to be able to encourage them to live in obedience to God's word in that situation. Maybe for uh, moms who are past the young child stage to be able to speak and help and pray for and be involved in the moms with younger ch children and issues that they are facing. To help one another know how best to deal with folks or issues in the workplace, family members. And the examples could go on and on and on that we in the life of one another are to be exhorting, encouraging one another to love and good deeds. We are called to be a part of one another's lives, that we speak the truth of God's word to one another. We have to be so humble to ask others for help. It's the same type of thing, isn't it? With carrying burdens and sharing of burdens. Likewise, in situations, asking for help, seeking encouragement, seeking exhortation, seeking the truth of God's word to be applied in your life. I hope in conclusion today, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can see the fact over and over again in scripture that Christians grow. Christians grow. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us that is living, that is active, that causes change in our life. It is not optional. 
God's work will do its deed within us and we are to give ourselves over to obedience, to seeking after God, living in obedience to his word. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us see that so many of the commands of scripture, the outgrowth of growing is our growing with one another, our growing with one another. We must grow together. All the one another passages in the new covenant, all of them written out in the New Testament, they're to be fulfilled in the life of a local congregation, a church. We must give ourselves over to this task and be reminded of it, to be encouraged if that is how you are living and as you are following in obedience, to be encouraged to say yes, to let me give myself over to the church and to other people, to serving one another, to helping one another. These are the good works that God has destined to take place before the foundation of the creation of this world. I pray that each of us would grow in that and be solidified in our faith of saying, yes, we need to grow with one another. I need to be a part of one another's lives. I need to serve, I need to be present. I need to encourage. By God's grace, as we do that, that the world would see and know because of God's work within us how magnificent Jesus Christ is. And that indeed, they would know us by our love that we have for one another. By the grace of God and through the power of Christ living in us, let us live in obedience to, the Je to Jesus who has saved us by his grace. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that so clearly teaches us of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who that your word that shows us the way of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And Father, your word that so clearly exhorts us unto obedience. And how that obedience, Father, is seen in how we live and how we interact with one another with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, would you indeed fill us with your spirit? Father, help us, we pray. Lord, help us to produce the good works that you have prepared beforehand that we might walk in them and that it would all be to the praise of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. In the name of our Savior, we pray, amen.